Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, church. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange, and I'm excited to be back with you. Last Sunday, I had an opportunity to go back and preach homecoming at an old uh, former congregation that I'd pastored for almost eight years, and it was good to go back and to be in that space and to visit with those folks, but it also was one of those bittersweet times because as they were having homecoming and looking around that church, recognizing those that truly have experienced a homecoming, a homegoing. And uh, recognizing those uh, that had joined us with a great cloud of witnesses. It was beautiful to be there, but I also was uh, grateful uh, for the experience to be able to have Ryan Spurrier, UNC campus uh, minister with Wesley uh, Campus Ministry, to come and to be able to preach and offer the message here. So that was last Sunday, and we're thankful for that. This Sunday, I'm also wanting to make sure that we are lifting up Pastor Brad. As Pastor Brad is uh, away with our senior high youth on a Whitewater Rapids trip. He took our middle school youth last weekend on a Whitewater Rapids trip, and I asked him uh, when he got back, I said, please tell me, did you come back with the same number of youth you left with? And so that's going to be my question once again this week. I'm praying that he comes back not just with the same number of youth, but also same number of appendages, everything. Everything's going to go well. I'm trusting in that. So we're looking forward to that. But we're thankful to have someone like Pastor Brad to be able to to be able to demonstrate such incredible love, to be able to take our youth on these adventures and be able to pour into them uh, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we're gathered in this time, whether we're online or here in person, let's go to God once again in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, on this cool fall morning, you've called us forth. You've called us forth into your presence. Whether that means here in person or those experiencing your presence at home. Lord, we give thanks for the ways that we heard that beckoning, that call, and the ways that we could be together today. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this. In the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. This morning, we are beginning a three week series called Via Salutis. And that is a Latin term that means the way of salvation. Now, as we're looking at this via salutis, this order of salvation or way of salvation, as we understood it, it has been handed down by John Wesley. We're going to try to get an understanding of who we are as a people called Methodist. I know in the opportunities that I've had in serving in communities and being a part of the Methodist church for so many years, I remember I've had more than one time people ask me, now Methodist, is that Christian? And I get to articulate, yes, that, that cross, that, that means we are a part of the great community of faith known as followers of Christ. 
But John Wesley had a different approach. He had a distinct approach. And so I think it's helpful for us to consider some of the things about his life and the ways that we see Scripture lived out. But as we see it in his life and then looking also at the Scripture, I think we also can find ourselves in this way of salvation and our understanding of the love that God has for us. It was in late 1735 that a ship was making its way to the New World from England. Now, on that ship was John Wesley, a young Anglican pastor who had served there in the Church of England, but now has been invited to come to America, in particular to be in ministry to the colonists in Savannah, Georgia. But as they're on this boat, this storm comes up. The boat is being tossed back and forth, waves coming over, water, rain coming down, storm all around. You know, sometimes we might have been in a storm, maybe not on a boat, but I know there have been those times when my wife and I maybe were traveling somewhere and we're flying on an airplane and you hit one of those pockets where it suddenly drops and you have the turbulence. When you have such turbulence, you begin to worry, you begin to have fear. And John Wesley was consumed with this incredible fear as the storm is battering this ship. Now, John Wesley was also the chaplain of the ship as they were making this journey. But he who is to be the one offering peace, he who is the one to be offering comfort to those on this ship in this time of trial, he was terrified. He didn't know what to do. But he sees this small group of people who are huddled together, and they seem to be completely at ease. In fact, he overhears them singing with faith, with, with peace, with calm. And he himself, with this inner turmoil going on within, as the storm is battering the ship, he wants to know how these people can have peace how these people can have calm. And so, as they finally make their way through the storm and they finally arrive at their destination, John Wesley asked one of those individuals who were part of that group how they could have such faith, how they could have such calm and such peace in the midst of a storm. And they simply asked him, well, do you too have faith in Christ? And Wesley replied, well, well, of course. You know, I can only imagine in his mind, of course I have faith in Christ. I'm a minister in the Church of England. I am the chaplain of this ship. Of course I have faith in Christ. But he would later recount that he feared that it was only vain words that had come out of his mouth. See, he knew about the faith that we have in Christ. He knew all about it. But he had not yet fully understood it to the point of it being something that he himself had experienced. See, Wesley was brought up in a very strict household, a very religious home. As his father also was a minister, matters of faith were of utmost importance. Samuel Wesley and Susanna Wesley drilled into their children the scriptures and the ways of faith. They were brought up in the faith and they knew so many things. Wesley went off and studied at Oxford where he was preparing and training to become this minister in the Church of England. And while he was there, matters of faith were so important that he, his brother, and a few others formed a small small group 
the small group that was known as the Holy Club, or others would call it Methodist. They were called that because of the ways that they were trying to practice their faith. They knew it was a matter of the head, and they were trying to make sure it was a matter of experience. And they were trying to bring about a renewal of that experience within themselves and within the lives of others. And so this small group, this holy club, these Methodists began to hold one another accountable. They would held frequent communion services, seeking to have communion as often as one could. They would fast two days a week, devoting themselves instead of to eating and consuming to times of prayer and feeling that hunger, that yearning, seeking that experience. They would devote themselves to visiting in the prisons. This was beautiful as they would go into the prison and they would not just visit with the prisoners. They would teach them to read. They would help pay their debts. They would work with them so that when they were released, they might have a vocation. They were devoted to really making a difference in the lives of those who were held in the prisons. They would distribute food, clothing, medicine, and books to the poor. They were living out this faith that they had fully up here. They knew it. It just hadn't yet been made real for them on the inside. And so as Wesley went to live out this call to go and to be in ministry in Georgia, it ended up being a complete failure. He was run away for a a series of calamities, a series of things that he himself had done wrong or others had misinterpreted. He had all this head knowledge. He had it all here. But the difference was he didn't have it yet here. He knew it. He just had not yet experienced it. In fact, as he was this failure in Georgia, when he came back to London... He was at a complete loss. In his journal, he writes that he's beginning to consider just leaving the ministry altogether because he was questioning his call. He was questioning his faith. How could he be one leading others if he himself did not have a faith? And so he asked another Moravian friend, Peter Bowler, whether or not he thought he should quit the ministry. And Peter Bowler responded, by no means. But then Wesley asked him, but what can I preach? He said, preach faith till you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach faith. Preach faith until you have it. And then because you have it, you will preach faith. This understanding of this this relationship with God had not yet been made real for Wesley, And he sought it so desperately. He sought it through reading the scriptures. He sought it through living out those scriptures as best as he could. And yet he could not make the heart and the head connect. Until one day. One day as he's gathered for worship on Aldersgate Street. On May 24th, 1738. He's hearing a reading of Martin Luther's uh, introduction to a commentary on the book of Romans. And it's in that moment that the Spirit worked. The Spirit worked in such a way that his heart was strangely warmed. And in that moment, 
he suddenly knew how much God loved him. He suddenly knew and suddenly accepted this incredible love that God has for him. Folks, I think for a lot of us, this might be similar to our faith journey. I know I myself was raised in the United Methodist Church. I was raised in the parsonage as my father had served for over 40 years in ministry. I was raised in such a way that every time the church doors were open, we were there. Every Sunday school, every vacation Bible school, even in the summertime, my mother would look for opportunities to send my sister and I to other vacation Bible schools. We were such a part of the faith that we knew it. But it had to come a point in time that we received it, that we accepted it, that it was meant even, yes, for me. And even before we fully accepted it, God fully loved us. This leads us, I think, to this understanding that Wesley developed of that we call prevenient grace. Prevenient is one of those strange words. I doubt that you use it commonly language. Another way of saying it is almost a preventing grace, but it is a grace that goes before. A grace that goes before. This grace is God's love that goes before we even understand it, before we are even fully aware of it. I think about when my children were first born, and I'd hold them, and I'd sing to them, now, one of my favorite things would be when I'd come home in the evening and they'd reach up with those tiny little baby hands and they'd grab hold of my beard. Oh, that was great. I would just go to sleep uh, feeling those hands holding on to it. And I would look at that child and I would sing to that child about how much I loved that child. But you know what? The child did not know. There was no way of understanding, no way of comprehending in that moment. But that child never would know yet in that moment. That there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. There's nothing they could ever do to make me stop loving them. That's this prevenient grace that God has for us. It's this prevenient grace that God is constantly pouring out to us. He's wooing us, beckoning us, nudging us, constantly pursuing us before we even know it. And see, the real truth is that as we're in this life, the real truth is that we, fall, we sin, we fall short, and we miss the mark. And that sin creates the separation from, uh, from God. Now, God's love is constantly pursuing us. God's love is constantly coming after us, calling us back, beckoning us, nudging us. The thing is, that sin has caused this division, this separation. That love, no matter what, does not Stop. Even no matter how far away we may go, God never stops pursuing. I love those words that Josh read just a few moments ago as we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, before we even knew it, 
who was willing to die for us. That's the love that God has for us, that there's nothing we could ever do to separate us from that love. It's that love that constantly is calling on us and beckoning us. And the thing is, even though we may know it in our head, it may not yet be real in our heart. We may have been seeking out to live a life, making a difference in our community, making a difference in our world, just like Wesley and his holy club. We may have been seeking to show this love, but sometimes there's seeds of doubt come in. and We ourselves may begin to question the reality. And it's in the midst of those storms that God is still calling us, beckoning us, even when we don't understand it. See, while the first truth is that our sin will create this separation, the second truth is that no matter how lost we may be, God is constantly wooing us, drawing us, pursuing us. I think that we can know that, that wooing, that drawing, that pursuit we really begin to listen to our hearts, to acknowledge in the middle of our storm the reality that there's something. We may not understand it, but there's something calling us to something deeper, to something more. Just a few weeks prior to my being appointed as the pastor here at Orange, my mother passed away unexpectedly from having a stroke. And as we were preparing for that service, we began to plan this opportunity that would give a celebration of my mother's life. And so as we planned it out, my mom had four grandsons, my two boys and my sister's two boys. And all four grandsons wanted the opportunity to be able to say something about their grandmother, to be able to celebrate her life. And so the, the day came and, and all four of them got up there stood, standing together and they gave thanks and, and celebrated my mother's life. And, and then I had a chance to be able to say a few words. My dad had a chance somehow to muster up the strength to be able to say some words to be able to offer hope and encouragement to others. And, and the beautiful thing was that we had a lot of friends and people that gathered, people that were close in our inner circle that had come to be a part of that celebration of my mother's life. And some of my friends, some of those people that I'm close with, do not have a relationship with God. Some, uh, I, I love being able to be in, interact with people that, that may think differently than me, that may live life even differently than me. And so following the service, there was an opportunity that we gathered together with some family and some friends. And one of my friends who, who does not have a relationship with God, one that is, was brought up in the church, but over life they began to go away from the church, turn away from God. And one of my friends spoke to me and said that as we were going through that service, and my friend had the opportunity to get to know my parents, and so my friend was, was experiencing his own grief in that moment. And he said that as my sons and my nephews got up there and spoke about my mother's life, he said his heart was just breaking and he was, he was torn to tears. He said, you got up there and you spoke. He said, but it was something happened while your dad was up there speaking. He said, while your dad was up there speaking, I realized that here he is, and he's grieving, losing the love of his life. And yet, in his words, he said, it was weird. I couldn't even understand it. I started having this peace. I started having this calm come over me. 
And I can't understand it. How do you explain that? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. (laughs) We have a word for that. (laughs) We have the Spirit. And began to be able to talk about how sometimes there are things we don't understand. But it's that that God is beckoning us back. It's like we're hearing this echo from a far off distant place. And God is calling us back into this relationship with him. That is this provenient grace that is always calling us, wooing us, nudging us, pursuing us. Calling us back. And we'll talk in the coming weeks about what happens after that. But... But I want you to know today, whether it's here and it hasn't yet made it here, or maybe it's here and sometimes we begin to lose it here. Wherever you may be in your walk today, I want you to know that God is pursuing you. He is wooing you. He is calling out to you. And all that God seeks is for us to be in a right relationship with him. All that God seeks is for us to come back. To be united, to be one with Him. And maybe in this journey of faith, maybe you have gotten to this point that it seems like we're going through the motions. It it seems like we're just going through the practices. Maybe like we're a part of the holy club. We're just doing the things because we know those are the things we're probably supposed to be doing. And maybe we've lost that meaning. Maybe we've lost that feeling even. Today, I want to invite you to just pause right where we are, to listen, to hear that wooing of a God who was willing to offer up the life of his own son so that we might be brought back. Today, God is calling you. He is pursuing you. He is is nudging you. God just wants us back. Before we even know it, today, may we begin to know it. Today, may we begin to hear it. Today, may our hearts begin to be strangely warmed and know that you are loved. Let us pray. Lord God, I acknowledge the reality is that my sins have caused a separation, a breach in that relationship with you. We all have fallen short and missed the mark. And Lord, I also want to acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. You are the vine, we are the branches. And yet, so many times, we follow our own devices, the desires of our own hearts. And that may lead us away. Lord, maybe we've never really heard that call. Maybe we've never really felt the way that you are beckoning us back. But today, Lord, I pray that we can can embrace this love that goes before, before we even knew it. That you were willing to offer up a sacrifice before we would even be born. Before we would even sin and miss the mark, you would be willing to pay a price to cover that. And that there's nothing we could ever do to separate us from your love. And so today, God, wherever we may be on this journey, I pray that we might fully lean into this love, this love that came before and that is always with us.
Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.